Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 16th February, 2020. This evening we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, and brings a message entitled, Pain and Purpose. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open to the New Testament to Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and just a a few verses in Philippians chapter 1 to consider this evening, starting at verse 12, and just reading three verses down to verse 14. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, this is God's word spoken through the Apostle Paul. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pause and let's come before God. Let's let's pray before we consider these verses this evening. Father, with our, our Bibles open, we ask that our hearts also would be open. And we ask humbly and simply, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would be changed by your word this evening. We acknowledge this is your work, your work through your spirit in our hearts. And Father, we ask that you would do it for the sake of your church and for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Your your Bible's open as we look at these verses this evening. Bad things uh, happen. No matter how well you, you live your life, however good, bad or indifferent, or you find yourself straight bang in the middle of that, bad things happen. Someone crashes into your car, you get your wallet stolen, you get uh, stricken with the the flu, uh, you miss your flight. The list could go on and on and on. We know that bad things are part and parcel of our life here on earth. In fact, it doesn't take you very long to realize that that your existence here on planet Earth will be filled with, with moments of certainly of good days, but on the other side, moments filled with trouble, pain and affliction. As a, a living, breathing human being, regardless of your morality, wherever you fall in that spectrum, if you haven't suffered Yet, suffering will come knocking on your door. We hear uh, popular questions uh, buzzing around our world. And here's a couple of examples. Maybe you have heard these said to you. You maybe read news articles or articles online addressing these questions. Maybe possibly you yourself have actually thought these questions and have wrestled with these 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 questions before. Here's a couple uh, to think about. Um, we hear people talk about, why do bad things happen to good people? That seems to be a very popular one. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Another one is, how could someone be so evil and heartless? We think of real sinister and evil people and we sort of look at their their life and go, how could they get to that stage? Or we could slightly nuance it uh, to, to look at it on a theological perspective and we hear this classical question that comes up and, and we hear this often. How could a, a supposedly good God allow for evil to exist in the world? If God's good, why is there so much evil and tragedies across our world? As I said, maybe those sorts of questions, you've heard them, or maybe they've, they've been in your brain and you've thought about them before. Maybe you're still thinking about those questions and haven't really got a full answer to them. I think we could condense uh, some of those questions down to, to one question, which I think a lot of us want to know the answer to. It's a question regardless where you, if you're a Christian, a non-Christian, or have absolutely no time for organized religion or God. We will ask the question in one way or about, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? What is the point in suffering? Is there even a purpose? Surely it's all negative. Surely it's bad news. And there can not, nothing good can come from it. Why do we suffer? Well, before we get into our passage, I want to briefly just sort of answer that, that question in a, in a, do you know what I mean, a whistle-stop tour. And to answer that question, we need to fully understand what, what suffering is and how it comes to be a part of our lives. It's not random, it's not coincidence. Didn't, the world just didn't start suffering last week. And the simple answer to that question is, well, we suffer because of our original parents. Adam and Eve, despite living in perfection, sinned, and within a moment, our world would never be the same. And Adam and Eve decided in that moment to turn from God's good and gracious directives, and instead they accepted a lie from Satan himself. And there we had the fall of mankind. Sin entered and sin has infected every fiber of every element of this world. Our world groans at the suffering that it endures. But praise God, we do not meet here without hope. We meet here filled with hope that we have a God who doesn't allow the story to end there in Genesis As we know, as we have already considered, we know we have a saviour who was sent, God's son, Jesus, to save sin-cursed humans like you and I. So that is the why suffering is a part of our reality. But how does it actually enter our lives? In what platforms does it raise its head? I'm going to present three platforms and how suffering comes to be in a reality in our lives, which I'm sure many of us can, can relate to and can, can connect with. And the first one is this, that it's, and it's something I've already said. We, we live in, a, in a, just a simply fallen and broken world. Our, our world is fractured and it's, it's cursed. Natural disasters happen. Cancer is, is prevalent. We know that our world is suffering. 
Nobody with a right mind is going to say that our world is perfect or is getting more perfect or is improving. No, not one bit. That's the first, uh, that is the first platform. The second platform is this. We suffer because, well, you and I are, are sinners. We sin, others sin against us. We can self-inflict suffering upon ourselves. Like somebody is speeding and crashing their car and injuring themselves or the person who cheats in an exam and they, they get caught and automatically they're, they're feel, they, they, they feel and they're punished. Or on the other side, someone sins or transgresses against you. Someone lies to your face. Another person starts to maybe verbally abuse you or discredit you and bring dishonor to, to your name. I sin, you sin, and others sin against us. That's the second platform. And the third platform is the one that we just feel a little bit uptight about. But yet we have to acknowledge its reality. And suffering exists within our world because of demonic forces in our world. We love talking about God and we like to talk about God and that he's loving and he's kind. But as much as as God is real, we cannot ignore the existence of Satan or the devil. He is real and he hates God. He's completely opposed to God. And we, we, we know of demonic uh, forces within our world, even to the degree where, where many people will be filled with, with evil spirits. Now that is a, a whole subject in itself that we're not going to tackle. But one thing I just said at this point is maybe we might come with that and think that kind of skepti- uh, skeptically because, um, you know, we're 21st century. We're very modern and advanced human beings. That's, you know, for a bygone era, that's what sort of people talked about and thought like um, back hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But as we look at the New Testament, particularly as we look at Jesus and how he, he dealt with this, this was a reality for Jesus. And this was something Jesus did not, uh, did not ignore. And for me, if Jesus is not willing to ignore it, well then I think the advice for us is we should not ignore the reality of it as well. There's our three platforms. Suffering uh, will come to you one day. I don't know how it's going to look. Like, maybe you're, you're in the midst of it at the moment. Maybe you've just came through a period of, of, of intense pain. I don't know. I don't know um, what you're going through. Um, but regardless of where you fall in this life, whether you believe in God or have no time, suffering's part of our lives. And we need to acknowledge its, its presence and how we can deal with it. So I want to ask a question. Well, ask a, I want to ask two questions at this point. I want you to ask yourself honestly, um, are you prepared for that? Do you have the right perspective once it comes to, to suffering? And the second question, a more particular question is this. If you're a Christian this evening, what lens are you gazing through when it comes to the difficulties of life? Let me say that again. What lens are you gazing through when it comes to the difficulties of life? We want to think of that question throughout our time this evening. But with it in our minds, I want to turn our attention into our passage in Philippians chapter 1. Just a little bit of context. 
um, about this uh, phenomenal um, little letter by Paul. If there's one word that would summarize this small letter, it would actually be the word joy. We haven't got so much joy thus far. But Paul mentions the words joy, rejoicing, gladness 19 times in this letter, in these four chapters. Yet the situation that the apostle finds himself as he's writing this seems to contradict what he's actually writing. Because as Paul is writing, he is currently imprisoned. Most likely, we would, we would know that he is under house arrest in Rome. And Paul has two very real possible outcomes that lie ahead of him. First one is this. Either he will be acquitted and he'll be able to go as a, as a free man and be able to go on his merry way. And more than likely, if that was the case, he would have to leave Rome. Or the second real possibility that faced the Apostle Paul was this. He would be killed. He would be executed. He would be beheaded. Yet, as we read the words that form this little letter, we get no sense whatsoever of Paul being anxious, fretting for his life as these possibilities face him in his life. So the question that should automatically come to our minds as we think about that is how? How can a man in prison, looking death square in the face, be at all joyful, let alone content as he'll get to at the end of the letter? How? Well, the answer is actually fairly simple. It's all down to Paul's perspective. For Paul, as we know from his life and his witness and his, and his writings, he prized Jesus Christ over everything above all. And what Paul wants to teach us through God's word this evening is that how you interpret your life depends heavily on what lens you're looking through. How you interpret your life depends on the perspective that you have. So a couple examples for Paul. So for Paul, he is not a prisoner under Roman captivity. What is he? He's a prisoner for Christ. The reason he has been placed in prison is not to merely wait for his trial, but it has served to advance the gospel. See the differences there? See how his his perspective is changing how he's viewing his, his life? Even though his life seems to be imploding all around him, Paul is able to truly rejoice in all his circumstances. And he wants you to be able to do that as well. So what was the secret for Paul? Well, it was all down to what he knew. This, is a, a, this isn't a, a shallow self-help book in the book of Philippians that says, you know, don't worry, everything will be fine, let go, let God, and all that stuff that we may hear. No, it, it explains how we can truly be joyful in the face of everything that life throws at us. And God wants us to know the truth of his words, of his word. Our feelings, emotions, experience, circumstances, all change. They fluctuate. One day it's good, another day it's bad. But the truth contained in the word, his word does not. Whenever you're flying high or having the worst day, God wants to remind you that his word does not change. His promises do not change. And ultimately they don't change because he does not change. 
See, the foundation of the Christian life is, is not emotion, it's not feelings, as well and good as they are, it is knowledge and truth. And Paul wants these Philippian Christians to know that what has occurred to him has taken place to advance the gospel. That might be the heading of the title or the, of the, the section that, that we have read. It is in my translation of the Bible. All of his suffering took place so that more people could hear about Jesus and what Jesus has done for this entire world. See, this is a little bit of the backstory to where we come to once we read these words in, in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul was, was the, the forerunner, the, the missionary guru that was going from place to place on various journeys to, to spread the gospel. And it was Paul's a desperate desire to get to Rome. Why? Why, would, why did he want to get to Rome? Rome was the, the epicenter of, of culture and modern trends. It was basically the capital of the world. And for Paul, if he could just get to Rome, if he could get to that, that city where everything just filters out from it, then the possibilities would be endless. I'm sure Paul, uh, preceding this, preceding his, um, his, his imprisonment, he, he, I'm sure he envisioned that he would travel and he would preach in Rome as, as a free man. But Paul arrives in chains, and yet this was exactly what God was intending. As, as Paul shared the gospel, he would share the gospel, not to masses, but he would actually share the gospel to a number of guards each day. We know from history that uh, under house arrest, he would have, there would have been a rotation, four guards uh, that would split across the day. So each of those guards would, would get the gospel from, from Paul. And then the next one, the next one, the next one, then it would be another day and there's another four, maybe same, maybe different. That was the, the mission field God had placed Paul into. And as we said, Paul's awaiting trial here at the moment. So that means that investigations had to be carried about at, at, at what is a, a new religion, a, a cult essentially, um, what, is, what we know as Christianity. And as, as these investigations, these studies of, of what Paul is teaching, ultimately the truth of the Bible, it slowly begins to spread into the Roman Empire. The gospel was getting right into the center of the Roman government. And slowly but surely, it would transform the major powerhouse of the world. Actually, from this, fast forward 300 years, Rome would actually convert to Christianity. And with that, the world, in a sense, would convert to Christianity. Christianity would be the number one religion. And this is where it all starts off, with one man being imprisoned in a bleak and what seemed like a, a hopeless situation. God was using the suffering of one man to bring about his glorious purposes. Let's read verse 14 again. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, the suffering of, of others 
has the possibility to encourage, or to better put it, embolden other Christians. See, the fellow Christians that Paul was was connecting and relating to were able to look at the apostles' attitude and witness as he endured his imprisonment for the sake of Jesus, and they were strengthened in their faith. And specifically, they, were, they increased in boldness to, to share the word of God. You have to just pause there and say there's just a few, there's a few words that open that sentence, uh, that verse. Paul says, and most of the brothers. And the obvious implication is there, not all. Not all of the brothers were encouraged. If you take time to read verses 15 to 18, um, it goes on. Paul talks about those who are, are preaching in vain. Very much there's the, the connection that maybe these are part of the, those that are not encouraged. There would have been those who would have been um, antagonists of Paul, who would have been um, basically mocking him and would have been claiming because of his suffering, because of his imprisonment, then basically that... that um, detracts his witness and shows and proves that he is he is of no use and God is not using him and not blessing him. And so basically a modern day prosperity gospel they were signing up for. What Paul's offering here is 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 not a generic self confidence or sort of motivation booster to get you through one day and then wears out the next. No, as, as Paul suffered for his Savior, for Jesus, it increased the passion of the believers around them to spread the gospel even more. See, Paul, as I've said, is the leading figure in the church. As Paul was able to be faithful to Jesus and his mission, in spite of his circumstances, that was able to encourage, embolden those who watched on. And it was quite an example that the apostle left. For the rest of our, our time, just the next few minutes, I want to spend time really looking at some of the important lessons that these verses teach us, essentially the application of these verses to us um, tonight and for our lives. And the first thing I want to say is, as, as a Christian, and I want to say this uh, sensitively, that um, I want that suffering matters and suffering has as a purpose. See, God in his grace can use what seems like like dead ends or bad days or barriers in our lives to bring about opportunities to bring about his divine purposes. See, it's just natural for us to think about suffering as an obstacle purely as something negative. It stops us, we think, uh, from fully enjoying our lives. And that may be true in some situations, but we can't, not, we can't just leave it as that is the only reason and purpose for it. Even more regrettably, um, and you may hear this in some quarters, you may turn on a TV channel or hear it on a, a Christian radio station, you might listen to a podcast of a, of a pastor preaching, and they'll talk about the like, sort of difficulties and sufferings, and really what the antagonists of Paul were saying is what many still say today, is that suffering comes about because you don't have enough faith in God, or you haven't been faithful to God 
So this is the reason why you're enduring this pain and suffering. Now certainly, suffering can raise its head because of our sin. Um, We endure the, the just consequences because of that. But the events of our lives, whether they're good or bad, they're never coincidental or random. So I want to encourage you to think a little deeper about your, what you're going through this evening, whatever that may be. So back to our question we considered. What lens do you look through as, as we, what lens do you look through as we gaze at the plight in our lives, the difficulties in our lives? What's going on in our world as well as we turn our TV channels on? How do we look at that? How do we actually think about those events, both far and near? Well, Paul wants to encourage the Christians to very simply, very rudimentally, fix their eyes on Jesus as they suffer. So I want to suggest um, three things. I want to suggest three uh, positive returns of, of suffering. Now that just sounds like an immediate contradiction, an oxymoron. That doesn't sound like right. But we could frame it like this in another way. Let me suggest the, the gracious returns of suffering for Jesus. Here's the first one. As we suffer, gospel opportunities arise. When we face hardship, we, we can be placed in settings and locations that, if we're being really honest, we didn't want to be there in the first place. And in those places, in those locations that we didn't want to be in the first place, we meet people who we wouldn't have met if, we had a, if our lives had been planned out by ourselves. And we meet people who desperately need to hear about Jesus and his good news. Again, back to the example of Paul. Wanting to come to Rome as a, as a free man and preach, I'm sure, to, into amphitheaters would contain thousands of people. Nope, he comes and he's simply four men a day. Then another four men, then another four men. And maybe it certainly was far from the glamorous approach he was expecting. See, the temptation for, for us is that when pain arrives... For us to, you know, just fold our arms and look inwards and become insular. And we fixate on our our pain and our woes. And I want to give grace for the difficulties that may be going on in our lives. But I also want to say gently that often once we do that, and legitimately we can do that, we often miss out on glorious gospel opportunities. As we become insular and focus on on the plight in our lives, we actually miss out on people and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Second suggestion is this. Suffering can actually be a good reminder. When we feel pain, we are reminded that we are not strong, we are weak and frail, And suffering can humble us and bring us to our knees and encourage us to trust in the Lord even more for our strength. Just the fact that we live in a broken world makes us long for a solution, a remedy, and it can make us think of the glory of heaven even more. Third suggestion is this, and it comes straight from our passage. It's this, that suffering can encourage others. 
if you, if you look at the, the history of Christianity, I don't know, this is maybe taking you back to the good old days of RE, uh, or if you just have a good knowledge of how, how the churches went about throughout the, out, throughout the world and how it spread across the world, and we certainly can look through, through scripture and through uh, the children and the people of God and how they have advanced and progressed. Uh, and we see quite clearly that breakthrough moments always arise out of pain and suffering. They always arise when the backs are against the wall. The story of, of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to my mind once I think about this. I don't know if you've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor during the, the time of the Second World War. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as, as, as uh, Nazism was rising in, in Germany, he decided that he would flee Germany for safety, understandably. And he, he went to uh, the United States of America. But once he was in America, he became incredibly convicted uh, on a number of reasons uh, for, for, the, for the people as they endured this, this, this oppression, for the evil that was rising up through, through Hitler and Nazism. And he, he boarded the, the last boat from America to mainland Europe before second, the Second World War began. And he would return to, to, to Germany and he would pastor a church and he would boldly preach the gospel and he would stand up and oppose the evil that was engulfing his country. The story goes of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who ultimately would be put into a concentration camp and he would just go around person by person and talk about the gospel and talk up to the guards about the gospel and about Jesus, person to person, really ultimately making them sick of it. He would talk to them so much about them. And Bonhoeffer, actually, 26 days before the Second World War would end, would actually give his life for it as he was executed for, for his opposition. But Bonhoeffer led an example. And many, Christ, many people came to faith for his boldness. And many Christians were able to stand with him as he was such a strong and courageous leader. As they opposed the evil that was rife throughout their country. In your pain and suffering, you might not even know who you are encouraging in their faith. Actually, in those moments, we should be attentive to the people who are watching us as we go through the difficulties in our lives and look out for them. And I hope that these, these sort of three suggestions, that, that you can see that suffering, if we look at it through the correct lens, can actually be for our good and more significantly for God's glory. Each person in this room is unique. And the, the moment of suffering that you face is unique. And it's, it's not accidental or without meaning. And I simply want to encourage all of us tonight to, to embrace a broader and greater view when you think about suffering. Not that you go about looking for pain or grief, but you're able to know why it exists. I want to say just one final thing and as we come to a close. In these verses, Paul is not saying that, these, that God brings pain and heartache into our lives to see if we're really a Christian or not. God's not the, the author of suffering. No, he's not. God is not the author of sin or evil. But he uses, is able to use in spite of these realities in our lives. Let me read a quote from an American pastor, which I think captures this point perfectly. 
And let's uh, please listen to this. All suffering, regardless of where it falls, whether it be brokenness of the world, whether it be our rebellion against God or another rebellion against God or even demonic means where it is seeking to devour or destroy, all ultimately serve the purposes of God. He goes on to say this. How thorough is your victory when the moves of your enemy serves your purposes? You want to think about the totality of victory that God has over sin and death and the demonic realm that even their activity, their attempts to dismantle, to oppress and to break simply when all said and done serves the purposes of God for us. So that God does not cause but enslaves and uses all suffering for his glory and our joy. So, Christian tonight, believer in Jesus, you, you know you have total victory over sin and death. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, we still wrestle with it, but in an ultimate sense. And God, in his grace and his mercy, and his power and his, in his ultimate control, is able to use the difficulties of our lives to bring about his glorious purposes to shape us more into his in the likeness of his son jesus and to, as we have considered tonight advance the gospel and how do we know that to be true how can we actually believe those words i've just said and the very simple thing is we have to look at our savior jesus christ and the life that he lived as he personally demonstrated it as you consider the why and how of your suffering Always have in your mind's eye the most significant moment of suffering that has taken place. Every time life hurts and knocks you down, remind yourself of Jesus on that cross. Jesus who left the glory of heaven. He was, as we have already read this evening, the despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, born our griefs, carried our sorrows, stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, pierced, for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, so that we could be, so that we could have peace, that we could be healed. This is our Savior, who would suffer the agony of the cross. As we're torn, broken, and bruised by this world, it all serves as a reminder that one day for the Christian that will be no more. So, what lens are you gazing through when it comes to the difficulties of life? hope that you'll have a gospel-centered lens. Suffering has meaning. and Would we be alert to see how God in his mercy is using it to bring about his divine purposes for his glory and for our good? Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his word to us. As we come to a close this evening, we're going to sing a very appropriate song. Blessed be your name. You give and you take away, but yet we'll still sing and we'll still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. As the music begins, if you're able, let's stand, arise and sing our final song together tonight. Thank you.